Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Either you're with us or you are with the terrorists. If you've got health care already, then you can keep your plan if you are satisfied with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to the bank. Together, we will make America great again. We shall never surrender. Never surrender. It's what you've been waiting for all day. The Buck Sexton Show. Join the conversation. Call Buck toll-free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. The future of talk radio. Buck Sexton. Terrible. The bombings in Austin are terrible. Uh, Local, state, and federal are working hand-in-hand to get to the bottom of it. This is obviously a very, very sick individual or maybe individual's These are sick people, and we will get to the bottom of it. We will be very strong. We have all sorts of federal agencies over there right now. We're searching. Uh, What's going on in Austin, a great place, a tremendous place, is absolutely uh, disgraceful. So we have uh, a lot of power over there. We're looking. It's not easy to find. But these are sick people, and we have to find them as soon as possible. We have to find them really immediately. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. You have a fifth explosion earlier today in Texas. Uh, It's believed to be linked to the bombings that have already happened in Austin, Texas. And we are now in the midst of a manhunt for a serial bomber. Uh, We do not have much in the way of additional information about motive, uh, about any description of the suspect, any inclination about who the suspect or suspects are. Uh, We had the Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton speak earlier today. Here's what he had to say about it. Obviously, as you know, an ongoing investigation, law enforcement can't share everything they know. So there are definitely things that that law enforcement knows about what what's going on with the right. bombs and, and potentially the, the, who this is that they're not going to be able to share at this time. But yes, I do think that this guy, whoever it is, is trying to increase fear. Well, he's certainly trying to increase fear. The question is, for what purpose, and who is it so he can stop him? Um, I hope that law enforcement has a lot more information than is out there in the public right now, because otherwise, it seems to me they have very little to go on right now. And if you look at the history of mad bombers in the past, serial bombers, people that were just trying to uh, sow chaos and and just kill people at random or kill people for as part of some a twisted political agenda. Some of these bomber manhunts stretch on for not just months, not years, but decades. I certainly hope that is not the case here. Some of you may be familiar with uh, the mad bomber case who terrorized New York City back in the 50s, George Metesky. Uh, it took them quite a long time to finally get Metesky. He had left bombs in phone booths, uh, in bathrooms. He'd left bombs at Grand Central Terminal, Penn Station, the New York Public Library. This guy was leaving uh, bombs all over the place. 33 bombs. 26 of them, uh, 22 of them exploded. Uh, and it took them a long time to uh, track him down. The most well-known serial bomber of all time, the Unabomber, Ted Kaczynski, 
As you know, that went on for decades. There's now a series. I was actually planning on on watching it. And uh, there's a series on, uh, I believe, Netflix right now, Manhunt Unabomber, just about that decades-long effort by the FBI to track down Kaczynski. And, and it's important, folks, remember what brought him down. He wanted his message to be out there. If Kaczynski didn't have a streak of narcissism and grandiosity, if he didn't insist on a manifesto being published by the Washington Post, I believe the New York Times, would we ever have found him? He was meticulous. He planned it out, and he was completely and utterly sociopathic when it came to the lives that he ruined and lives that he ended. Um, there's also uh, a a similar uh, a similar need for a sense of uh, message. If you go back into um, Metesky's case, he would send letters. He sent letters into the uh, New York Herald Tribune, like this one on October 22nd, 1951. Bombs will continue until the Consolidated Edison Company is brought to justice for their dastardly acts against me. I have exhausted all other means. I intend with bombs to cause others to cry out for justice for me. So these bombers are crazy, but not stupid. They are careful with what they do, and it is very tough to track them down. People have been asking. I was over at Fox this morning uh, a few times trying to shed some light on how this all works, and we, we have incredible forensics right now. I mean, the things that can be done today uh, are, are, are amazing. They can find DNA on a, on a switch. They can find DNA on a blasting cap after it's been used even. Although oftentimes the explosion will burn off any residual DNA. People usually, be, if you watch enough TV and movies, you think of fingerprints. They're always dusting for fingerprints. Yeah, fingerprints are great if you can get them. But uh, if someone wears gloves, guess what? Not a lot of fingerprints. DNA, that you leave behind. That's much harder to eliminate from a, a device and, and can be left behind even after uh, an explosion. In fact, one of the uh, better known cases of trying to track down all of this involved the FBI as a special lab that they set up and thousands and thousands of IEDs from Iraq and Afghanistan have been sent there for analysis and they tracked down one of the, one of the cases of a refugee who turned out to be a really bad Really a bad choice for this country. I believe he was living in Kentucky. He was an Iraqi refugee. It turned out he was involved in insurgency there and was bragging about how he had killed U.S. soldiers. And they were trying to do a match between an IED in the Beji area of Iraq, uh, known best for the oil refinery north of Baghdad, a couple hours drive, I think. Um, about Maybe it was about 60 miles, well, on Iraqi roads. But... They were able to track him down, and, and in part, the effort involved looking at exactly that, the DNA on IEDs in Iraq and seeing if he had any connection to it. And uh, He ended up getting a 40-year sentence, I believe. So there are ways that they could be tracking this down. This may be over in a day or two. I'm not trying to make this seem more dire than it is. I just know the history of tracking down serial bombers is one of a lot of 
uh, slow and plodding and difficult detective work, usually. And this case so far, we're seeing increased. Here are the things that give me real pause. One is no message anywhere that we know of. Maybe what Paxton, the AG of Texas, said is the case. Law enforcement might already have a really excellent tip, you know, and, and great. And I hope that's the case. But from what we know, and I can only work here on this show, I'm not in law enforcement anymore, I'm not in intelligence anymore, I can just tell you what's out there in the press, which is all I would anyway, <laughs> right? Uh, w- what we know is that the bomber, assuming this is all one person or one group, and I, I do think it's likely to be a person, I don't see this being a group, I also don't see this being, um, the. I don't, I, I don't see it being jihadist terrorism, I don't see this being drug cartels, you know, any, some of the things that are, put out there as suspect profiles by people that are just trying to theorize and and then also getting a sense of motivations for this. We just don't have enough right now. I mean the the profile you can expect here would be a a single male, probably middle-aged with a gripe. If he fits the mad bomber profile, um it's probably a loner. <laughs> And someone who feels like he has been wronged, very possibly by the government, although we don't know that for sure, and views this as a means of retribution, right? And and attention seeking. What's complicating the situation is that we have not, and it's still very early, but we have not yet seen any manifesto. We haven't seen any claims of credit for this that anyone believes are credible. We have a case where someone has chosen targets that seem random, even from the mind of a of a terrorist. Right. Even for a sick and deluded mind, we can't pick up much of a. Much of a pattern based on what we've seen so far. And now that you have one bomb that went off at a FedEx, you've got another. And this is this is still, I believe, developing. They They, they have a. A suspicious package Uh, because if they have an intact device that would be much better for all the forensic stuff i was talking about looking at the mechanics of it what pieces are in what pieces are actually in the explosive device Um, then again look sweeping for fingerprints for dna all the things that they always do the standard kit if you have a device that's still together you're more likely to get some answers than if you have a device that's been blown to smithereens it's just shrapnel and residue but they're saying there's also some degree of sophistication here. That that runs quite a gamut, right? I mean, are we talking about someone who spent a lot of time, maybe in some basement somewhere, thinking about how to do this? Absolutely. I mean, this is this has been thought out. This person knows what the plan was here and and is uh, executing this bloody mayhem according to what they had been plotting out for some time but beyond that is this somebody with an actual skill set from explosives explosive ordnance disposal is this you know that to me too early to say but i haven't seen the devices right law enforcement may be keeping this close hold the fact that they're saying greater level of sophistication to me is starting to be an indicator and this is reading between the lines this is not based on this is not what we know, this is what we may know based on what we've been told. Uh, that you could have someone here who 
is beyond reading the anarchist cookbook and trial and error at home, which, as we know, you can get far. If you're just trying to blow up innocent people, that's not a hard thing to do. It's an evil thing to do, but it's not a difficult thing to do. Um, so this is this is now where we hope that law enforcement is going to have a, a, a rapid arrest and there'll be no more of these bombings. But using the postal system or using FedEx, you know, using any of these parcel or package transfer services adds a layer of complication. And it means that they're spreading a sense of anxiety and fear throughout that entire system. Anywhere where they can reach, you know, these these bombs could theoretically reach. So far, it's all been in Texas. Could expand beyond that. We don't know. A lot of unknowns, but we have a serial bomber on the loose in this country. We've got over 500 law enforcement agents that are working the case full time, just doing everything they can to find him. And we will keep you updated on it. Beyond that right now, I just I hope that this is a story that doesn't last beyond the week because they get him. And this doesn't turn into a, a Matetsky or a Kaczynski or any other long term serial bomber cases that have been out there. Uh, if you have any thoughts on this, especially those of you out there who are law enforcement or uh, former military EOD, uh, explosive ordnance disposal folks, by all means, lines are open. 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK. I'll be back. We, we've got a we've got a packed show today. I've got to talk to you about the updates on Cambridge Analytica. That whole thing is just people have lost their minds. They are crazy on that thing. Just the latest overblown conspiracy. But we'll we'll pull that apart together. And then also a, a school shooting today, and one that you won't hear about from the media. I'd say starting tomorrow. This is going to fall off the rail. Why would a school shooting not be talked about for more than one day's news cycle? Some of you are probably already saying it aloud. You already know why. But we'll talk about it because it's important and it should reflect. It should be reflected in the policies going forward. I know that you have Betsy DeVos with that school safety commission. We'll, we'll get into all this coming up. So uh, stay with me, team. Much more on the way. Welcome back, folks. Uh, before we get into the what really should be a non-story about Cambridge, uh, Cambridge Analytica, um, I just want to say that there are some people who are talking quite a bit about the possibility of a government shutdown. We're going to get to Cambridge Analytica and then the school shooting in just a few minutes. But first, uh, government shutdown. Jim Jordan is raising the alarm over the spending increase that's going to uh, be happening here. This is the second largest discretionary spending increase in the last decade, second only to the Obama stimulus package. I don't think the American people elected Republicans in 2016 to preside over a spending increase of this magnitude. Not to mention some of the things that might go in the bill that are still being talked about, namely bailouts for insurance companies and and elements like that. So this bill is a a bad piece of legislation. I think you're going to see lots of conservatives oppose it. Freedom Caucus will be offering a number of amendments to try to change it. We'll see how it all plays out in the next 48 hours. How seriously can we really take the notion at this point that Republicans are the party of conservatives, that conservatives don't want to spend beyond their means and that we're not just 
oh, we have the checkbook now, so let's buy the things that we want as a party. What evidence is there that I'm wrong on that one? I watched an interview earlier today because, I, as I say, I have the great advantage because you hear me later in the day of I've been reading and listening and watching and researching all day. Don't have much of a life, but means I got a lot to say on radio. I saw Paul Ryan and he was talking about the increase for the military. And it's just so interesting to me. When does Paul Ryan decide as Speaker of the House, he's really going to go to the mat on decreasing spending? Answers is never going to happen. And then when the Democrats are in charge, Paul Ryan is going to be Mr. Deficit Hawk all over again. Deficit's $21 trillion, everybody. $21 trillion with a T. I know people say, well, that's money we own ourselves. Uh, we owe ourselves. Um, yeah, good luck with that one when interest rates start to rise. Oh, we owe it to ourselves. Uh, people are starting to get a little skittish, a little nervous about what this means for the economy. And, and the problem with it is that everyone... Who, I know who understands this, really understands it, not just pretends for the purposes of being on TV, really understands what the macroeconomic trend is here. Say that the problem with waiting until you know it's a problem is that it is then too late. When you wake up and you're like, oh, wow, the 21 trillion, the 22, 24, 27. What number do you want me to stop at? That, tr that level of, of debt becomes unsustainable when everyone understands that it will be too late and you will have no one even really knows what the full extent of the economic consequences will be but i know who's going to benefit from it china china's going to benefit from it they're china. ready for oh there you go whoa uh they're going to be waiting in the wings to take over as the dominant superpower right that's the plan economically is how they think they're going to get there. They'd much rather get there through that means than any other. So I just want to note that, you know, Jim Jordan saying we're spending too much money. Everyone says we spend too much money in the Congress. Nobody does a darn thing about it. And even if there is a government shutdown, which I don't think there will be, the government doesn't even really shut down. It won't be sort of shut down for long, and it won't matter. What will matter is that we have spent too much darn money. Because no one wants to be the politician, no one wants to be the party of, you know, you just can't have five scoops of ice cream every day after dinner, it's a bad idea. No, no, five scoops for everyone. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. Zook uh, did not talk. Shel Sandberg did not talk. That's wrong, okay? Mm -hmm. Pretty simple. Where the hell is he? I want to compare for a moment to the, to the financial crisis. Everybody got called in. You didn't question J.P. Morgan after. Even with Lloyd combative, uh, J.P. Morgan, with the exception of, you know, Vikram Panda did okay in City. Look at these names that I'm telling you. When I say Jamie, okay, when I say Lloyd, when I say Zook, when I say Cheryl, that's who you put out, okay? You don't Mickey Mouse it. Don't Mickey Mouse it. <laughs> Don't Mickey Mouse it, says Kramer about Zuckerberg going MIA on Facebook, the CEO of Facebook. Some would say because he, well, discussion for another day. If you've seen the social network, you know what direction I was going in. But, yeah, he's talking about the financial crisis. I, I think that's 
way exaggerated as to what we're dealing with here with Facebook. This is just frankly not nearly as big of an issue as the media wants to make it into. A data analytics firm, Cambridge Analytica, uh, that had some ties to Trump's campaign, may have gotten access to information in violation of a Facebook policy about uh, you know, whether you can, I think there's an FTC issue here, Federal Trade Commission, with you have to opt in and you have to give people notice if you're going to use their data for something. So here's why this is a just mountain out of a molehill. Because it's yet another explanation for why Hillary lost the election. That's what this is. And Facebook, the arguably most powerful con- uh, company in the world right now. I mean, it's definitely up there. It's definitely like top three, maybe top five. Other than the Bilderbergs, the Illuminati, and, you know, Queen of England. Queen of England calls all the shots, folks. Google it. Google it. But uh, other than, you know, the, a couple of other companies, Facebook is among the most powerful companies in the world. And you have the CEO running and hiding right now from this tempest. You know, this uh, wave of outrage over 50 million people who may have had their basic Facebook information, the, the basic Facebook information shared. You get a kid who's running around talking about how this is uh, weaponizing people. You know, he was part of the Cambridge Analytica team or something, and now he's uh, the whistleblower. He's weaponizing people's fears. I'm like, unless you are writing down that you have a fear of clowns or arachnids, Facebook does not know your fears. And we're not even talking about going through your chat logs. The algorithms don't exist to do what some of the people in the media reporting on this are calling it micro targeting. Oh, that's not it's micro targeting because macro targeting has another word. It's called public relations or marketing. It's tough to make that sound that scary. But in this era of Mueller targeting Facebook puppets and Twitter sock puppets uh, for our Twitter trolls for information warfare against the United States, anything that you can tie to Trump involving the Internet and information, you can make sound scary and people will believe it. This is a non-story. This is not scary. Not only is it not scary, but... As I mentioned to you yesterday, the Obama campaign back in 2012 was bragging about this. And Facebook, and you can check, this is on the record, you look it up, you'll see. Facebook figured out what the Obama campaign, the Obama digital team was up to with this data. And they're like, well, you know, we don't really think that that's the way we, that this should be used under our terms of service, keep in mind, this isn't like the Constitution, folks. The terms of service for an Internet company is what we're really discussing here. You know, how the information, they're gathering the information. They have it. It's just how it's going to be used. And they, they already have it. And Facebook's already using it, by the way. you got to remember that, too. Facebook already has all this and is selling it to advertisers. It's just a question of how it's packaged and what protocols are in place. Some of this is driven by the FTC. Some of it's just Facebook trying to, you know, be a company that people want to continue to use. Uh, but the reason that, <laughs> for those of you listening, the reason that you see ads for things, you're like, oh, I kind of like that. I think I might have to buy those waterproof hiking boots. How did Facebook know? 
it's not because they have some super secret squirrel algorithm that understands that you like the color beige and you're somebody who grew up in an outdoorsy family and no. You, you did a search, you know, they know where you are. They can geolocate you. You did a search recently for footwear. It's wintertime. Bam! Hiking boots. Look at that. If you're here in New York City, snowshoes. Because we're about to get shellacked, apparently. First day of spring, every Yeah, first day of spring. Come out to the coast, have a few laughs. It's not going to be funny. We're up to, our, up to our ears in snow tomorrow. But I digress. Maybe I'll be able to cross-country ski into the radio studio. The other part of the Cambridge Analytica thing. I know they suspended the CEO, but yeah, that's... The people that I know who are journalists who are honest, by the way, about Cambridge Analytica are the ones who are saying they're not even a good analytics company. They're not even good at this. Why is everyone pretending like they're good? Oh, it brings me back to my initial point. That it's an excuse for why Hillary lost. Someone violated Facebook's terms of service with a super secret algorithm that was doing micro-targeting to exploit your fears, and it was information warfare. It was weaponizing personal data. These are just all exaggerated words for marketing, for social media marketing. That's it. But the reason people are pretending to believe it or are willing to believe it, because I do think the Trump derangement syndrome brings otherwise sentient functioning adults into a place of crazy town. The reason they will believe it is that it is yet another excuse for why Hillary lost. I just don't know which is the main excuse this week. I'm going to return to this later on the show. I want to know what the main reason why Hillary lost is. It's never that she was like, I hate people and I'm entitled and grasping and terrible. It's never that. It's never that she's the most dishonest, unlikable politician of her generation. It's always something else. Now, here's my theory on this. I don't believe that Democrats think that Hillary's actually a great politician. I just think it makes them feel better to believe that she was cheated. They, they would prefer, they don't want to deal with the reality of Hillary, even if they know that she was a weak candidate, which is probably a, a small subset overall of what we're talking about. But it also feeds into how much they hate Trump. If Trump is a cheater, he's even worse than they thought. And how is that even possible? I don't know, because they think he's a, you know, Trump is a is a racist, a misogynist, a, a molester, a, you know, all these things that they say about the president of the United States all the time. And, and they're going to forget about this, but we're not. They have so lowered the discourse when it comes to the respect shown to a presidency. I can tell you this. I've. I've been doing media now, gosh, going on eight years. I, I, it never would have occurred to me, and I would have been unwilling, if told to, to speak with the same level of personal disrespect about Barack Obama. Not that I didn't have enormous problems with Obama and thought that he was a bad president. I did. But I never would have spoken with the same level of just blatant, personal, snide disrespect that I see on CNN and MSNBC and other places 24-7 about this president. All the time. It's normal now. It's normal to call him a criminal, a traitor. A, and, and what's amazing to me is that the Trump derangement syndrome that the media has prevents them from understanding what the long-term implications of this are. 
we're going to remember this, right? Just like we remember what happened with Hillary's emails, just like we remember Bill Clinton lying under oath and being an actual molester, assaulter, and overall gross, detestable person. That's real mean. I just like ladies. I just want to get them close and give them hugs and kisses and teach them all about being president. As much as we look at all this now, they don't even understand that we will remember. And that, But that's why they get so wound up about Cambridge Analytica, because it fits into their, their favorite psychological need right now, which is Trump cheated, Trump cheated, Trump cheated. They have to repeat this to themselves. The idea that the Trump phenomenon is real and based on what a majority of the American electorate via the Electoral College and the system that we have wanted for this country was in fact that, that what the majority wanted was in fact Trumpism and not another eight years of Clintonian garbage uh, of devolution via Clinton. The fact that that's the case, they, they just won't accept it. They won't accept it. That's what the Cambridge Analytica thing comes down to. Nothing's going to happen here. Oh, people are talking about they're going to have to pay some fine. Cambridge Analytica will, bank, will go bankrupt. They say, oh, $40,000 for a violation of under FTC of privacy regulations. Oh, there needs to be needs to speak before Congress and all this stuff. This just goes to show you how much they have created a frenzy around this because Remember, it was Facebook also that was used by the Russians to target now, right? So Facebook, what, are the, what is the more likely scenario? Let, let me pose it to you this way. That Facebook is just a social media platform where people can say and do things and people will push ideas, politics, market products, all that. The good, the bad, and the ugly that comes along with it. Um, or that both Russia and Cambridge Analytica separately did some terrible stuff that used Facebook as the centerpiece of an information warfare campaign to stop Hillary from being the president. Both of them, not just one, both. They both did this now. It's crazy, isn't it? When I say it out loud to you, I feel like, what is going on here? I I, I long for the good old days when we talk about the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, and how it's going to make health care crappy because of the basic laws of supply and demand and economics. But, oh, we have a moral obligation to cover everybody. Bo, but it's going to make things worse. And you're going to cover people with less actual health care. Forget about cover. I miss those debates about those things. Instead, I literally have to sit here and refute because it's the dominant narrative that's being fed to you all the time, even if you don't watch it on MSNBC. It's being fed to the teachers in your kids' schools. It's being fed to the professors at your children's universities. It's being fed to the C-suite at wherever you work. It's being fed to the politicians, especially if you're in a blue part of the country. Never mind if you're in a purple toss-up area there, too. It is permeating the country around you, whether you accept any aspect of the narrative or not. If you reject it wholesale like I do, you still have to deal with it. So that's why I show up here, roll up the sleeves, and try to just hammer away at this. Because we can escape it. I, I wish we could, but we can't. If we allow it to go unopposed, then you'll just have 
Democrats winning the midterms, the Trump administration stymied. Trump probably gets impeached. Don't know if he gets removed from office. It depends on what happens in the Senate. That's what happens if we don't fight back, as you know. So fighting back means, unfortunately, we have to play a bit of defense here sometimes, ideologically speaking. 844-900-2825-844-900 buck. Oh, gosh, I have uh, much more. We're going to talk about that shooting, school shooting in Maryland and why this is going to be a shooting that you hear about for tw- for a maximum of 24 hours, and that'll be it. Now, I understand there were not a lot of fatalities. There are differences here. I, I, I'm clear and honest about that. But do we think that given all the movement, they, they just had the big march on D.C., but hold hold on. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. Stay with me. There's an update here on a story that uh, you will not hear much about from the media. I covered it on the show, if I recall, uh, early on uh, when I was first on the air here on the the Buck Sexton Show with Premier Networks about a year ago. Um, but this is about the uh, the terrible situ- terrible case of uh, Justine uh, Damond, who was killed by a police officer in. Minneapolis. And the story was that she had called the police. There was a concern about a sexual assault in an alleyway. And she came, walked out of her home and walked up to the patrol car. This was on. I'm sorry. No, this is about. Yeah, this was July 15th. So it wasn't a year ago. It was about. Gosh, I can't keep track of the time. This is this past summer. And she walked up to the passenger side of the police car. There were two cops in the car. And one police and the police officer in the passenger side just pulled out his gun and shot her. Uh, posed no threat. No, no, nothing. Just pulled out his gun and shot her. And people were wondering, especially at this time of particular sensitivity to any unjustifiable force, unjustified uh, law enforcement, lethal force in particular. How come this wasn't getting more attention? Oh, well, the, in this case, alleged murderer, because he has been charged with murder by the district attorney's office, the alleged murderer was Officer Muhammad Noor, who was uh, of Somali descent and had been widely celebrated on the force, he was a sort of a. It, w- it was considered a big, uh, a big win to bring on Officer Noor from the Somali American uh, population of Minneapolis, which, as you know, there's a large Somali diaspora in Minnesota. And Officer Noor was someone that they were publicly, the department saying, "See, you know, diversity." And and Officer Noor uh, killed this woman at close range for. No one to this day, he hasn't spoken publicly about this, and he will not speak to investigators about it. No one to this day really knows. I just am the district attorney uh, and making the right move from what I can see here. Uh, charged charged a, a second-degree uh, second degree murder. I'm sorry, third-degree murder charge for perpetrating an eminently dangerous act while showing a depraved mind. Charging depraved mind murder here, folks. 
uh, second degree manslaughter that he that's an additional charge that he acted with culpable negligence, creating an unreasonable risk. I mean, I, I, I assume they're going to get him on that one. But why even charge depraved mind murder of a police officer of a woman who posed no threat? He's Australian, wonderful young woman. It's terrible for her family. Why the DA charge depraved mind murder unless they had reason to believe that the guy had a depraved mind? There's got to be more here. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. When the shooting took place, our school resource officer who was stationed inside the school was alerted to the the event and the shots being fired. Uh, He pursued the shooter, engaged the shooter, during which that engagement he fired a round at the shooter. Simultaneously, the shooter fired a round as well. So in the hours to come, in the days to come, through detailed investigation, we will be able to determine um, if our school resource officer's round struck the shooter. Uh, the, the school resource officer is uninjured and was not struck by any firearm projectile. Welcome to Hour 2 of the Buck Sexton Show. Uh, school shooting in Maryland earlier today. You just heard law enforcement there giving a, a rundown as to what, what happened. Uh, you had Austin Wyatt Rollins, 17, the only fatality. He was the shooter. So as these situations go, when you only have one fatality that's the shooter, um, you know it obviously could have been much, much worse. But you do have a 16-year-old female student in the ICU with life-threatening injuries and a 14-year-old male student was shot, but he is in stable condition. So two shot and wounded, one in life-threatening condition. Um, but the shooter is the shooter's down, the shooter is dead. And this was because, and you're all ready for this, of a good guy with a gun. Deputy Blaine Gaskill who was the school resource officer, also, I read, happens to be a member of a SWAT team. So for those who insist that it's impossible to get people with the right training to be able to also be patrolling schools, well, you got a guy who was SWAT, who was a school resource officer here. The shooting happened, and we don't know the specifics, but given the training and background that Officer Ga- or Deputy Gaskill had, um, I would I would be willing to... Uh, to wager that what likely happened is that the shooter drew down on him when confronted. Deputy Gaskill, you know, w- waited and then this guy took a shot, meaning the shooter took a shot and Gaskill took a shot. Gaskill, we don't know this yet, but seems likely to me that Gaskill did not miss. Unless the school shooter took his own life, but that doesn't that doesn't make any sense. Then you'd only have Gaskell missing once, and then maybe the shooter taking his life. I doubt that. Seems to me it's like there was an exchange of gunfire here. We don't know. We don't know. I'm just trying to read uh, beyond the headlines a little bit with that. Um, but I, I'd be my assumption here. My working assumption is that the shooter tried to fire on Gaskell. Gaskell returned fire, hit him with one round, killed him. Um, and we'll see. We get the full readout, the report on that. I'll know if. Uh, that analysis is correct or not. But you're not going to hear a lot about this shooting for the in the days ahead. This one's not... 
and it's looking at two people who were shot. Given the amount of attention paid to school safety and school shootings right now, you would think that this would be a top of mind story for much of the media. I have seen very little of it on CNN tonight, for example. A lot of talk about Trump congratulating Putin. We'll get into that later on in the show, by the way. I don't think we're going to skip over that. But they're not going to talk much about this because a good guy with a, with a gun stopped a bad guy with a gun. And that's not the storyline that the media, that's not the narrative that they want to run with. They want guns out of schools and out of your hands. They want no guns. They want gun bans. They want gun restrictions. That's the purpose of this movement that has arisen from the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School shooting about a month ago in Parkland, Florida. It exists for a purpose. The purpose is not just generic school safety. It is gun control. And it is to change the discussion, the culture around guns, such that abridging the Second Amendment partially and then eventually entirely abrogating it. That's what they're trying to do. This is incrementalism under the guise of a general security discussion. And because in this case, a school resource officer was able to confront, disrupt, stop an active shooter situation in a school, that's not the storyline that they want. That's not what you're that's not what's going to be on the evening news for the next three days. Because we've talked about this Republicans, uh, you know, the NRA, these vilified gun owners across the country, anyone who supports the Second Amendment. A lot of them have been saying, yeah, if you, we want more armed uh, or armed officers in schools. People have had ideas about programs specifically for for veterans, those who've got uh, the, you know, the weapons training and just the desire to protect our our kids across the country. You know, there's all these ideas put out there about having more armed personnel in schools for exactly this kind of a situation. But that's not what they want. That's not what the left is going for here. It's not about keeping kids safe. It's about taking your guns. And that's why Officer Gaskill, SRO's uh, school resource officer and SWAT team member, is not going to be a name you hear that much more in the days ahead. Um, and I know that some people are, are also choosing not to uh, name the shooter. I'll try to leave it out of the rest of the discussion. I, I think that that's a guideline more than a rule. It's very hard to talk about what, what could have been a, a homicide here. Certainly was a attempted multiple attempted murder and not name the person at all involved. There's some reporting that this may have been a, uh, a uh, former, he might have shot a former girlfriend that, you know, who, we don't really know. We don't really know. Uh, we just know that somebody was in a school trying to kill people and a, and a resource officer stopped him. Will this in any way, you think, influence the discussion, influence the conversation that's going to be happening in the next few days about the March for Our Lives, as it's being called, which is going to be happening this coming weekend? Um, this is the Washington Post reporting on it. Uh, let me give you a little bit of what the details are here. Federal agents will be on watch. D.C. police will be in full force and metro trains will run every few minutes to accommodate the 500,000 people 
expected to descend on downtown Washington, D.C. this coming weekend for the March for Our Lives rally. Uh, The Saturday march is an anti-gun violence demonstration led by the survivors of the Parkland, Florida school shooting. It will draw thousands of students, many of them under 18. So officials are saying they're taking extra care to ensure the safety of protesters. There's also going to be a huge uh, march here in New York, right? Right, Producer Mike? Uh, That's the expectation. There's going to be a huge march here in New York City. Probably other cities across the country, too. I even heard some people that I, somebody asked, uh, somebody asked me, I'm not going to get any specifics. Somebody asked me, you know, hey, are you, this is just a a friend of a friend. All right, a friend of a friend. Are you going to go, go to this anti-gun violence march this weekend? I was like, do you listen to my radio? Do you know anything about who who you're talking to? You think I'm going to go to a march that says that if, if it were really about stopping violence, yeah, of course, we're all in favor of that. It's a gun control march. It's what this is. And the fact that it's being given this, the, the name and the branding or the march for our lives, you know that you're dealing with progressives and the left behind the scenes when you have these uh, slogans, these phrases, the stuff that's going to go up on the placards that is not only meant to bring people together for the cause, but if you're not for it, you're a bad person. If somehow you're opposed to this, you're, you're not, you're mean, you're pro violence or something because you know, it's a march for our lives. Are you opposed to children's lives? Well, no, of course not. Well, how can you be opposed to the march then, Buck? Oh my gosh, it's amazing what they do here. Kind of reminds me, and this is a, an aside, but I'm a, a big fan of the show Parks and Rec. And and people sometimes say that I, I look like one of the guys on there, but I do not look like. Yeah, John is shaking his head. Yes, that is false. First of all, that guy, whatever his name is, he's like 5'3 and 110 pounds or something. All right, so let's just start with that. I'm six feet and not 110 pounds. <laughs> so let's leave it at that. But it's a great show. I would skip the whole this first season. This is the advice I always give about the show because it's one of my ten favorite shows of all time. I'd skip the first season entirely and go to the second season. Just start with the second season. But there's a a cult called the Reasonableists, and they meet every year in the park, and they say the world's going to end tomorrow. And of course, each year the big the gag is that the world doesn't end. They go, oh no, we misread the the book we have that like the fire breathing alien space monster left for us and all this stuff. And and each year they do this, but they call themselves the reasonableists because if you're opposed to them, well, clearly you're not reasonable and it's a joke. It's a funny show. It's a very light show, but this is true folks. And this goes all the way back to Orwell and his essays on the English language about political words and the efforts that political movements and politicians go through to use terms, to use Use phrases that obscure what they really want. You know, you sit here, you're probably thinking out loud to me right now. Uh, you know, pro-choice. What does that even mean? What does it mean to be pro-choice? If it's if it's fine, if it's a constitutional right, why don't you say pro-abortion? Why say pro-choice? Oh, it's to obscure the actual intent of the movement. And we, you can go down any number of these. This is also why they. You know, talk about undocumented immigrants by using those words, you are conceding that they're just immigrants. And it's just a question of changing the documents. Then they will be immigrants. Then it's fine. It's legal. It's good. On the March for Our Lives. Very clever 
marketing, which is what this what this what this boils down to. Very clever marketing, because if you know when somebody asks a friend of a friend is like, hey, is Buck going to go march this weekend? It's like, no, Buck is not going to go march this weekend because he knows what it's about. But to people that have a, a passing familiarity with what's going on in the country, you don't pay that much attention to news, don't really care that much. They're just like, well, I'm gonna, mar- I'm gonna march. You know, it's a big march for for kids and safety. A march for our lives. Women's march, another great example. Are, are you opposed to women? No. I'm rather fond of women, but if you're opposed to the women's march, then you must be, you know, you're you're anti-women, right? This is what they do time and time again. Look, it, it's I'm a big believer in the first. Unlike liberals, I'm actually a believer in the First Amendment. But if you want to have a big anti-gun march, if you want to have a big gun confiscation or restriction march, just say, you know, a march to end a march to end guns, you know, a, a, a march against guns in American society, a march against the Second Amendment, a march to change the Constitution. Just say what it is. Be honest about it. I don't like the dishonesty. And it undermines any willingness that I really want to that, that I'm willing to show the other side in discussing the issue much further with them, because I know what's going to happen. They're going to have a bunch of speeches that have been handed to or had activists working at least on a bunch of speeches from, you know, 18 year olds, 17 year olds, 16 year olds who are telling us about the role of guns in American society, as you know, to discuss School violence, which is going down and is actually quite rare. Because, oh, Buck, a school shooting happened today. Yeah, things happen all the time, folks. Lots of bad stuff happens all the time. I just, I was astonished yesterday. 40,000 people died in car accidents last year. I thought it was more like 30,000. Very, very bad things happen. That's not new. That's not unusual. That's not some revelation. Changing policy because and don't even get me started on why we're not talking about the violence that happens with students outside of schools. A lot of it are on drugs, a lot of it in the inner city. No, no, that that's not the discussion. Let's have a discussion instead about, well, I, whatever it is they're going to be talking about at these marches. Uh, how cowardly politicians won't stand up to the NRA. How we're going to have teenagers in some cases who have never voted and have no idea what they're talking about on any of these political issues yelling about how the NRA owns politicians and the NRA is a terrorist organization and adults are going to be standing behind them kind of snickering to each other. You know, ha ha, there's nothing. No one can say anything about this because these are the victims, right? These are, this is now, this is now victim splaining is what is happening. Democrats love to do it. Speaking of House of Cards, that show, one of the main messages that it sends is that politics is spectacle. After Zo- spoiler alert, um, after Zoe Barnes is killed, Clara no. Dude! What if we have a special show? Sorry. I'm a little behind. Okay, okay. So, <laughs> I can't, after, that, that's the most controversial thing that's ever come okay. out. <laughs> so after one of the characters is killed, Claire immediately turns to her mirror and starts putting on up. makeup. And what that symbolizes is how politics is spectacle. That's in real life, too. That's uh, David Hogg, uh, who is now the the single most well-known 
uh, gun control advocate after the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas shooting. He was there. He's been on all the different TV channels constantly. He's the one who accuses, without any pushback from the anchors, accuses the NRA of being responsible for dead children, of being a terrorist organization, uh, says the NRA owns politicians. Uh, and, and now he's, I'm sure he's going to be giving the, among the keynote addresses at one of these marches, I'm not sure which one, but you're hearing there I'm talking about, you know, yeah, he's watched House of Cards, so he understands politics and stuff. Look, you, you make yourself the center of a national political debate. You don't get to fall back on the, oh, no, I've been traumatized, so you can't say that what I'm saying is wrong or dumb. A lot of what that kid has said is wrong and dumb. It's just the truth. I don't know why it's a problem for us to say it, but, you know, with Democrats, it's often a problem to say the truth. Actually, these days, it's a problem to say the truth to a lot of people. Dr. Rick wants to uh, join in the conversation from Silver Springs, Maryland. Dr. Rick, do you know where this is? This school pretty close to you? I know you're down in Maryland. Um, you, you know, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, I, what I know is, is oh, oh, uh, yeah, St. Mary's County. Yeah. That school. Yeah, Maryland's not that big. I mean, how far away could this be? <laughs> it's probably about an hour away. Okay. Um, you know, and it's very sad that this is not a mass shooting. And I was on another station talking about the mass shootings that occurred. These were very sick kids known for a long time. But my, my you know, I am just steamed because I pay $23,000 a year to send my child to a Catholic school, high school. And they were forced, you know, they, they wouldn't say it forced, but everyone left the school on the 17 minutes to pray at the grotto. They tried to say it was only prayerful, but it was so political. And I've had an ongoing dialogue with the president of the school and the principal because I am one of several vocal, steamed parents about the, um, it's just being ran down the throat. There is no balance. There's no diversity of thought on this whatsoever. And it is just using them as political pawns and propaganda. It's indoctrination, and it is despicable. Well, as I've been saying, and I, I would uh, hat tip Matt Walsh over the Daily Wire for putting this idea out there publicly, students should advocate for a walkout for life, uh, meaning a, a pro-life march, and see if the teachers' unions and all these different schools across the country will back it, excuse student absences, pay for people to be doing politics, the, the adults on, you know, on, the, on the clock, uh, I'm willing to bet, Dr. Rick, the answer is a firm no on all that. But they should test it. They should test the idea. Dr. Rick, thank you for calling in from Maryland. Um, we're going to be talking about immigration coming up here in just a few moments. we got more updates on that. And my, uh, my thesis about the opioid epidemic and the cartels, by the way, we're, we're putting more and more together on that, uh, seeing more research on it. We'll talk about that. And also, Trump congratulated Putin. Oh, no, that's so terrible. Except Obama did exactly the same thing after Putin's last election victory. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. In another case, an alleged illegal gang member was arrested by the San Francisco Police Department. More than 10 times between 2013 and 2017 for charges including domestic battery assault, theft, and rape. But San Francisco refused to cooperate with ICE. You know that very well, don't you, Tom? You have a lot of problems with that. And he kept 
getting released over and over again. He was released. Sanctuary cities and states like California put innocent Americans at the mercy of hardened criminals, hardened murderers in many cases. President Trump speaking on the fight over immigration right now, uh, over illegal immigration. Let's be quite clear on that. And all of the criminality and the negative ramifications and all of the pain and suffering and expense that the American taxpayer has to go through because of illegal immigration. President Trump has had enough. He is giving voice to a frustration that has existed in this country for a long time. We finally have a commander in chief. We finally have a chief executive of the federal government who is saying this cannot stand. And it comes at a particularly important time here because you have a number of major fights over illegal immigration going on right now. For one, remember that uh, the the mayor who tipped off, this was in uh, Oakland, I believe, the mayor who tipped off illegal immigrants to a raid that was coming. And Jeff Sessions, who, as you know, was on the show last week, the attorney general completely skewered that decision. I just thought that was, as he said, an, an outrage. And some of them, uh, some of the illegals who, who dodged the uh, law enforcement effort to pick them up because of that early warning by that Oakland mayor, according to Fox News here, have been uh, picked off uh, for new crimes that they have committed. So some of the ones that got away, thanks to the Oakland mayor, did other criminal things. And so now they have been uh, grabbed. But there's another really important fight playing out in California where the city of Los Alamitos, a small California city, is trying to exempt itself from the state law in California, which is effectively lawlessness. It is a an effort, a, an effort through the legislature, the California state legislature to prevent any worthwhile serious cooperation with immigration authorities in the state of California. It's doing everything that it can just shy of ordering state law enforcement to stand in the doorway and not let federal officers go through. That would be a very big problem. But they're doing everything up to that, right? We, we don't want private citizens to help immigration and customs enforcement. We don't want uh, we don't want law enforcement to do so, except in very narrow and specific circumstances. Uh, they are just deciding for the people of California that illegal immigration is not illegal. That's what they're doing. There's nothing wrong with it. They, they should be forced. Every California politician should be forced to answer the question. Do you think there is anything wrong with illegal immigration? Because they would say on the record, I don't think they would. I don't think they'd ever, they would say no. They would say future illegal immigration maybe is a problem, but illegal immigrants in the country? No, they 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 pick our produce. They you know, they work in our restaurants. They work in the service industry. They're the the, the lifeblood of American entrepreneurship. Now, all that stuff. The Democrat Party is absolutely decided on this issue right now. I mean, this they're becoming increasingly a well, I'd say a, a three a three issue party. The Democrat Party today is defined by abortion, illegal immigration, and redistribution of wealth. 
class warfare. Those are that's really the 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 triad of bad that the Democrat Party is pulling together now. Those are the issues you'll see them rally around the most, the ones they believe in the most: abortion, illegal immigration, and redistribution of wealth, which is just a nice way of saying Marxism. But nonetheless, or how about we'll do class warfare? There we go, class warfare. That one I think uh, is is quite fair. One other thing about the immigration issue. As you know, I've been doing some deep dive research on my own into the cartels and what's going on in Mexico. And I've been seeing a trend for a while here. You have over 60,000 dead in the last year for which we have complete numbers. I think it was 60,000 dead or 63,000 in 2017. It might have been 2016. I think it's 2017. Anyway, over 60,000 are dying a year from the opioid epidemic. You had Trump up in New Hampshire, Jeff Sessions. They're pushing all kinds of new policies. I'll probably address that in some more detail tomorrow, the, the opioid crisis and how they're trying to tackle it. But as a uh, part of the discussion that I think gets left out ties very much into the immigration discussion. I'm sorry, but I refuse to believe that you have over 60,000 people dying in this country from drug overdoses, and it's almost entirely the result of unscrupulous doctors. No, no. And I know that, you know, if, if I pushed enough on this issue, people would say, no, no, of course, there's, I mean, heroin's illegal, right? So anyone who's overdosing on heroin, but people say, well, you know, people get hooked on the legal opioid and they go to heroin because it's more plentiful. It's cheaper. I say, wait a second. Why is it more plentiful? Why is it cheaper? Oh, because of the cartels, because of the Mexican narco traffickers, because of their poppy growing operations in Mexico now, no longer having to import it from South America or even South Asia. No, no, it's right across the border now. They are growing poppy. They are also importing some cases from massive Chinese factories. Thanks for that one, China. Another thing China is doing to hurt us. Uh, They're sending in fentanyl and the, the chemical opioids and bringing them in in large quantities. And I'm not the only one who's noticed this. Over at... Uh, uh, Conservative view or review, Daniel Horowitz wrote a piece. Trump is right on drug traffickers. Heroin and fentanyl are killing us. Seriously, it's not from prescriptions. Here's what he writes. First paragraph. Those who claim to be morally outraged by Trump's proposal, the death penalty for drug traffickers, especially cartel leaders, either have no heart themselves or are oblivious to the worst drug drug epidemic ever and how it came about. Uh, And then he goes into some details about. Synthetic opioids and the, you know what, I'll let me, because I have to run into a break here, um, but here's the, 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 the bottom line. Quote, the epidemic we are facing today is not from prescription opioids, at least not more than it has been for an entire generation. The number of prescriptions has already been reduced dramatically. Almost the entirety of the increased fatalities above the long-term existing trajectory were from illicit drugs and mainly the most dangerous one, heroin, end quote. Folks, the cartels are open border, illegal immigration and illegal crossings. They are killing thousands and thousands of us. It's the Democrats and the people on the other side who are fueling this speculation. I can't see any conceivable reason why the president would even consider firing Um, Mueller, uh, that would create a real problem on the Republican side of the aisle, 
as well as obviously on the Democratic side of the aisle. I don't think he's going to fire him. I don't think he should fire him. So we have to keep hearing stories, though, about how Trump may fire Mueller, may fire Mueller. Oh, breaking news, Trump may fire Mueller. You know, I, I could wake up tomorrow and we could be on a collision course with an asteroid that would destroy the planet. But I, I don't run that as breaking news every day. At some point, this turns into what is clearly silly. At some point, this is just too much. Oh, he's got to he's going to fire Mueller. Now, that said, I really wish we could get on message here because you do have some Republicans. It's not just Democrats. Occasionally, Republicans will come out and say, yeah, it's it's time to fire Mueller like this uh, Matt Getz fellow in Congress. I think that the president firing Mr. Mueller would create a series of conflicts and, and other downstream effects that would be bad for the country. I think this is the job of the attorney general because there's been no evidence of collusion produced by the special counsel and because there's been a House finding of no collusion in the Intelligence Committee. I think the attorney general would be right to uh, renounce his recusal, to re-establish uh, command of the Department of Justice, and then to give Bob Mueller a time period to produce the evidence that he may or may not have regarding collusion and if he doesn't produce it let's wrap this up and move on to tax cuts and other important things for the country so he's saying let, let's have sessions renounce the recusal and then come back in and then kind of wind this thing down but he's got to understand that if, if that happens they're going to say that there's pressure from the outside and it's as good as a firing and uh, so we are stuck with this thing Folks. The White House has come out and said, not thinking about it. I believe uh, Sean, Sean Hannity on his show has already said, look, no one's even talking about Mueller getting fired. There's been assurances across the board. It's not going to happen. And I, I do think that the, the fallout from it would be uh, would be strong. The fallout from it would cause some problems. But, but I'm just but on the other hand, on the other hand. There is a part of me that figures they're going to hate Trump no matter what. Unless Republicans in Congress really planned on turning on the president because he took moves, whether it was to tell Sessions, look, there's a lot of ways this could happen, right? Maybe Sessions decides he's had enough and he wants to move aside. Maybe he tells Sessions, unrecuse yourself. This is nonsense. And I, I don't know. But but shutting it down in some way or, or creating a definitive endpoint to the Mueller probe. I understand why everyone's saying no, no, no. But there's a part of me that feels like, you know, maybe this is one big, icky, crusty Band-Aid that you just have to just, just rip it off, man. I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to leave you with quite an owie afterwards. But there's a, there is a part of me that feels like this is what needs to be done here. Um, I understand it's not going to happen, and I, I'm not suggesting that it should happen. I'm just saying I understand the impulse. <laughs> I'm just saying that I've really had enough of the Mueller probe. I'm, I'm sick of it. I think that it is destructive. I think it's hurting the country. I think that it's become a clown show. I think it's obviously Democrat operatives working against the president, and they are, they are a cabal. And, I mean, you can't make this stuff up, folks. Comey is like the man scorned, and Mueller, his close buddy, is the one who's supposed to get vengeance for Comey and Hillary and all the rest of them. Understand that that top layer, Comey, Brennan, McCain, Brennan was probably going to be Secretary of State if, he, if Hillary Clinton won. 
Very, very possible, right? They all feel like Hillary's loss personally affected them in ways that they feel like they deserve some some justice for. They feel like Hillary losing to Trump cost them personally. And these are the people that have been unearthed now in this investigation. And some of them are directly tied to those who are running, who are currently running the special counsel. It's so many. There are so many conflicts of interest here. But notice how the Democrats play the game. On our side, we have Attorney General Sessions is trying to be honorable, trying to be ethical. He recuses himself. Whether you like that decision or not, it's based in in an effort at ethical conduct. And did Loretta Lynch recuse herself from the Hillary email investigation? Come on, what are you? What are you a toddler? Right? That's what they would say. <laughs> That's a joke. Loretta Lynch's not going to recuse herself. She's going to be there, to make sure that Hillary's okay. The Democrat Party's fortunes rested on Hillary's shoulders. Hello! As scary as that was. And the careers of a lot of these people, who now we're finding out, did in fact abuse their power and their authority in order to assist the anti-Trump effort. A lot of them would have advanced their careers even more, too. So I, I just look at this and, and uh, I wonder... If it's if we will, uh, let me put it to you this way, because I go back and forth. As you can tell, usually I come into a segment. I'm like, this is the truth. This is what's best. This is what should happen with, uh, you know, with with firing Mueller or with with shutting down the special counsel. There's a part of me that's like, meh. you know, at first I go, oh, no, no, it's crazy. We, we can't do that. I, just, then there's a part of me goes, eh, there are worse things. There are worse things. We can, we can allow this to drag on forever. Ask yourself this question. Is there a point at which the special counsel would have gone on for too long? We would have seen too many news stories about it. Too many, you know, CNN. Oh, my gosh, the special counsel is going to be interviewing the lunch lady from the Trump campaign's headquarters. At what point is it too much? At what point have we heard too many preposterous conspiracy theories on TV. I can't even keep up with the conspiracies now. So this week, what is it? Oh, that's right. This week, it's a combination of Russia and Facebook. Don't forget that for a while, they put this all on Comey. Comey was the guy that caused Hillary the election for a good while. They've changed their tune on this, but that's a relatively new component of all this right i mean or, or rather they, they've dropped that for now but comey by bringing up the emails see they stopped why they stopped talking about that oh because now comey's the hero who got the special counsel started it's almost like comey wanted to worm his way back into the good graces of the elite establishment just in time to i don't know get a multi-million dollar advance on his book right and to pray at the altar of comey I mean, this is a guy whose self-regard exceeds well, there's a lot of people with a lot of self-regard these days in the media and, and in government, so I can't even really find a benchmark for him. But it's crazy how much this guy loves himself. It's crazy how much Comey is a... I, I saw it written somewhere. I can't remember where it was now, but someone described Comey as a Comeyist. It's a very accurate description of how this individual is approaching so many different... Th- pretending he's a Comeyist in Patriot's clothing, right? I mean, he's a, he's a Comeyist that... He's always acting like he's the last honest man in in D.C. And I always knew that there was a problem because 
He went along with that narrative, and the media was pushing that narrative long before the email thing, long before a lot of, or rather, when he brought the emails up, I'm talking right before the election, not before Hillary's email problem. But they were always, oh, you know, call me the last honest man. They're building him up so much during the email investigation into Hillary's server. I'm like, this guy is just, he's buying his own press. You can't, you can't trust this guy. This is, this is not someone you can trust. Sure enough, we find out later on that he is a, uh, a huge weirdo with no self-awareness. And that's what we're dealing with now. So, all right, don't fire Mueller, but let's not rule out entirely forever. Uh, at, at a minimum, it will give CNN something to freak out about if we just even talk about it in the future. So that's where I come down on this one. I'm going to give it a little more thought, see if I can come up with a definitive buck answer. we got hour three coming up. Stay with us. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. Welcome to Hour 3 of the Buck Sexton Show, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, Wow, show is really moving along tonight. Um, We have this reality of a media that acts like we don't have access to the Internet, that we can't look up the way things were. That whatever they say is going to be accepted as truth and that hypocrisy is not going to be a problem. Let, let me get into what I mean specifically here. All right. You had President Trump speaking today about how Vladimir Putin won the election and Trump said the following. I had a call with President Putin and congratulated him on the victory, his electoral victory. The uh, call had to do also with the fact that we will uh, probably get together in the not-too-distant future. We are spending $700 billion this year in our military, and a lot of it is that we are going to remain stronger than any other nation in the world by far. We will never allow anybody to have anything even close to what we have. So Trump was getting a lot of heat for calling Vladimir Putin. And people were piling on that. Oh, my gosh, the Kremlin's puppet. I mean, they act like. They act like Trump is somehow exposing himself more and more with each passing day as how pro-Russia he is. Meanwhile, Trump is the one who has the administration that is slapping even more sanctions on Russia. Trump is the one who has given sniper rifles, anti-tank missiles to the Ukrainian resistance, or rather Ukrainian national government fighting against the rebels in eastern Ukraine. Trump is the one who is the commander-in-chief while U.S. forces backing up Kurds in Syria killed 200 Russians? We don't even know what the number is. The reports vary widely. But that's all been Trump. But because of Trump derangement syndrome, the media still believes that he somehow a Russian puppet that he secretly goes to bed at night pledging allegiance to the Kremlin and that he mumbles Russian proverbs in his sleep. Uh, Meanwhile, the rest of us trying to live in reality, see this for what it is, which is the president of the United States making a call to another head of state after he has had their version of an election. Now people will say to me, and I know I can, I can see it coming. They'll say, Oh, but we will condemn 
unfair election practices in Iran and we'll condemn it in North Korea and we'll condemn it in, you know, na- name a dictatorship somewhere or quasi dictatorship. To that I respond, yeah. Well, every situation when you're talking about international relations is unique. Notice how the intelligentsia, the so-called smart set, all those very intelligent people in Foggy Bottom walking around knowing all the policies. Excuse me, sir. Do you realize that we could give him a demarche, and if we demarched him enough, he might in fact yield to our policy demands? In reality... Russia is still a very important country with a very large nuclear arsenal. It is much more important for what it can do on the bad side of things than what it is doing on the good side. But nonetheless, we don't have a choice of acting like Russia doesn't exist. And we don't have the choice of constantly antagonizing the Russian state more than we already are. I mean, I'm I'm operating in a world where we already have sanctions in place we already have a media that is obsessed with putin i mean i think he he must kind of get a giggle out of it sometimes or putin does not giggle but you know what i mean he must crack something of a smile as he is shirtless doing judo wrestling bears discovering priceless artifacts in the sea all that stuff that he does because of this obsession here and and it even expanded to Sarah Huckabee Sanders getting grilled today on this specifically. Does the White House believe that the election in Russia was free and fair? Look, uh, in terms of the election, uh, there we're focused on our elections. Uh, We don't get to dictate how other countries operate. Um, What we do know is that... um, Putin has been elected in their country, and that's not something that we can dictate to them how they operate. We can only focus on the freeness and the fairness of our election, something we 100 percent fully support and something we're going to continue to do everything we can to protect, to make sure uh, bad actors don't have the opportunity to impact them in any way. This has really turned into a game for the media. It's it's like Putin baiting. You know, they just want. There's never enough that Trump can do to satisfy their lust for humiliating Russia and and speaking down to Russia and speaking in bellicose terms about the Russian state. What purpose would it serve right now for the United States government to officially condemn the election in Russia? What is that going to do? And I would also note that do we really do we really know the full extent of the irregularities? I'm not being a Putin apologist here. I know that he cracks down on dissent. I know he plays super dirty. I know he's basically a dictator, but he also has a lot of popular support in the country. Is it 70 percent or 80 percent? No, but as the the vote uh, vote tally was basically 70 percent, you know, it's probably in the high 50s. It's a lot more than you get in a usual presidential administration here. Now, that's not to say that there's that the, his situation is better. He's doing a better job. It's just to suggest that we don't have the option of sitting around and just going, la, 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 don't know Russia, la, la, don't want to talk to Russia. It doesn't work that way. And we are already taking actions that show our displeasure on the diplomatic stage of what they're doing. It gets even more tense if we start having uh, the White House 
spokesman or the president himself saying that, yeah, your election was a sham. Yeah, the whole thing's a joke. How could we expect to have any constructive dialogue with the Russian state going forward? Keep in mind, these are the same journalists who are like, oh, when Obama said that, you know, he would transmit to Vladimir, you know, he was just talking about, just talking about, you know, his favorite iPod list or whatever. You know, he's just listening to tunes. You remember that, right? You know, after the election, I'll have more freedom and and, uh, Medvedev saying, I will transmit this to Vladimir. Just like that, actually. I will transmit this to Vladimir. And he's like touching his thigh and the whole thing. And they're very chummy. Very chummy. Obama straight up said it on an open mic. Once I've won the election, then I can basically do what I want to do, which is give you guys what you want to make you happy. Because that's how Obama does diplomacy. America... You know, we've done bad things. We're naughty. We need to be punished. So whatever Iran wants, we're basically going to give them within the context of getting some semblance of a deal. Well, we're not going to make it too painful for them because we don't want to be mean. And he was planning the same things with Russia, I guess. I don't know. I'm not Obama. But then again, I also didn't say that. I didn't say that it was a good idea to pass along to the Russian, the real Russian premier. Remember, Medvedev at the time, you know. Maybe that was kind of Putin's puppet. Actually, Putin's puppet. But now it's this game that journalists play. Oh, you know, you haven't condemned Russia enough. You haven't said enough nasty things about the Russian state. These are people who, until now, until Trump was president, didn't want to push back against any dictators. The same journalists, my friends, who are lecturing all of us on how Trump is just so warm and fuzzy towards russia and oh he won't are the ones that are always coddling fidel castro they're the ones who are always making excuses for maduro by the way venezuela launched a cryptocurrency because they're just trying to do whatever they can to get around sanctions and prevent the complete collapse of their economy social justice warrior economy that's what venezuela has remember that my friends and the administration via executive order as an aside our administration president trump slapped down their cryptocurrency venezuela's cryptocurrency with an executive order that you can't get involved with that anyway i digress but these journalists can always find the good in any regime around the world you know they can take the they can take the side of whomever sits across the table from any republican president and yet on russia we find ourselves with a media that will say well hold on a second you're being too nice to the other side oh okay in this case Changes, changes the tune. What a surprise. What a shock. This is a mass delusion. I, I really I mean this. It's a mass psychosis. Trump derangement syndrome is actually a, a mental disorder. The media suffers from it. And Russia is like the main trigger. I will hit a quick break. We'll be right back. I was uh, 11 years old. Life was tough. Where's Mama? She's gone. She don't want me no more. And she don't want you neither. And I've always loved music. Dad, I can do this. No, you can't. And you're going to blink your eyes and you're going to realize that life has gotten you nowhere because you chased some stupid dream. I can go live my life. 
my dad was a monster. And I saw God transform him. And so I wrote this song for my dad. That is from the film I Can Only Imagine, out in theaters now. It broke into the top three overall at the box office, even though it's an independent film. Very few independent films exceed expectations right away like this one. But this is doing well beyond what everyone thought, or at least what the media industry expected. And uh, we actually have John Irwin with us right now. John uh, and his brother Andy are directing team, and he is the director of this one. John, thanks for uh, joining us. Hey, thank you so much. I just can't. Uh, we're all in a stunned uh, state of shock. This is such a huge win, um, you know, uh, for this movie and, and for Christians and people of values in, in general. Uh, we, we just shocked the industry. Uh, and, you know, I can only imagine what was uh, estimated to do between two to four million uh, opening weekend, and, and it did uh, over 17. And, uh, you know, landing right behind tomb raider and above wrinkle in time and, and it's just uh it's it's I, I don't have words for uh of gratitude for everyone that went and saw the film uh your voice has been heard it we we just shook up an industry over the weekend and i think it just shows uh you know how many fans of this song there are and, I, and i'm one of them this song uh, was a beacon of hope to me in a tough season in my life and has been to millions of other people as well and i'm just so honored now to you know uh uh, for it to be getting this this type of recognition and and uh and it's just a big win for all of us john for those listening across the country who may not know the the story of the film can you just give us a a bit of a summary and then also the song and how that ties into it yeah well you know i can only imagine it's the best-selling most played uh christian song of all time uh crossed over to many uh pop and country charts as well number one most requested song on a lot of uh, top 40 stations and and uh it just it it was this anomaly and uh and come to find out there's this incredible story behind the song and uh and i remember bart millard who wrote it who's the lead singer mercy me um he had me hooked when he said uh uh i know god is real because of the change i saw in my dad he said i watched a monster transform into my best friend and the man I wanted to become. And there's just no ex- other explanation for it than uh, what God did uh, in his life. And so that incredible story of reconciliation between a father and son and redemption uh, is really what we fell in love with. And so I can only imagine there's a song about heaven. We all know that. What we don't know is it's a son singing for his father because their relationship was completely mended and put back together. And to see Dennis Quaid portray that, transformation and uh you know uh brokenness and and redemption uh he when he signed on to the project he says i've never played transformation like this before you know i've never taken a character this full circle and uh he does such a great job in the film how long ago did you decide you wanted to work on this project did this take a bit to get it done or do you realize right away and did were you able to thread the needle of putting together a project like this that's been so successful well, you know, I think that uh, overall, um, you know, films always take a lot of time, but this one actually went faster than anything that we've ever done. Uh, we were exposed to the project. Andy was actually at a screening uh, of one of our other films, and Bart uh, uh, came. We've worked, we worked in the music business for many years before we did films, and, and they were talking, and, and Bart loved our films, and he said, uh, 
is there any way you, you guys would ever take a look at my story? Cause it had been in development in a, at another studio and kind of wasn't going anywhere. And, uh, Andy said, you know, what's interesting is they sent us the script this morning. And, uh, so from that, and, and so we took a look at it, fell in love with the story. But from that point on, it was just like this, it was, it, there was a fate to the project. There was, it was almost like we were all strapped to a freight train and, uh, and the film had a will of its own. And it was just kind of, coincidence after coincidence, if that's what you want to call them, uh, that every step of this project has just been a miracle. And, uh, and it happened a lot faster than most projects happen. The audience has spoken with more than just their, their dollars here, which, as a filmmaker, and we're speaking to uh, John Irwin, John and Andy Irwin are the directing team and production studio behind I Can Only Imagine, which is out in theaters now, everyone listening across the country. Uh, but when you see some of the stories that are coming out about this, John, people are saying that uh, that viewers, uh, that the audience is staying afterwards to pray or to sing. People are going to theaters multiple times to see this movie. Yeah. This is having a real impact yeah. on people. They're not just saying, yeah, that was all right. Yeah, well, you know, it's, what's uh, the, my favorite um, kind of response uh, from the film is uh, there was it first happened in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and and uh, you know I think people love the film. First of all, it's very entertaining. It's very emotional. You'll laugh. You will cry. Hopefully, you'll cheer. But to see some of the responses after the film, there's a guy that wouldn't leave the theater till he found his dad on Facebook. He hadn't seen his dad since he was 14 years old. He was harboring a lot of anger and uh, you know and bitterness. Found him on Facebook. Met with him the next day forgave him, told him he loved him, reestablished connection. And, 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 and God's kind of healing them both, you know, and if boy, if that could happen, uh, all over America, if relationships could be mended and restored, um, how cool would that be? There's so much in our culture that's tearing us apart to have something that brings us back together and, and mends what's broken. Uh, that could be a cool thing, I think, in society in general, but certainly for, for the family. And to see that begin to happen all over the country is a really cool uh, kind of result of the film. John, I know people can go to the Facebook page for uh, I Can Only Imagine Movie. It's facebook.com slash I Can Only Imagine Movie. Um, but if folks want to go see it, I know it's it's in theaters, but is there is there a digital option or do you have to find a theater near you or how can folks see it? Yeah, you can see it. It's in theaters nationwide. We're actually um, uh, we're actually scaling significantly. We'll be in over uh, almost twenty three hundred theaters this weekend, which is one of the largest um, kind of footprints ever for a Christian film. And uh, uh, just because of the success of last weekend, and so uh, check it out. Get out to a theater, and when you do you create something called FOMO. It means the fear of missing out. And this is one of the coolest ways that we can get the attention of a generation again. And so uh, your movie right. ticket is your vote. And so it is in theaters nationwide. You can go to ICanOnlyImagine.com. Uh, It'll be on DVD and everything after that, but go see it in the theater. Go see in the uh, theater, everybody. Uh, I Can Only Imagine is the movie. Happening. John Irwin, producer and director. John, thank you so much for your time today. Hey, thank you so much. All right, team. We are rolling a break. We'll be right back. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. You know, some of these ostensibly Catholic institutions, 
some of these universities that are supposed to have a Catholic or even just a Christian affiliation are increasingly abandoning whatever vestiges there are of actually being Christian. And that ties into a decision at Holy Cross, a school up in Massachusetts, very good school. A lot of my high school classmates, I went to a Jesuit Catholic school here in New York City, and a lot of the guys from my year and from all the years at Regis High School would end up going to Holy Cross. I think they even had a specific scholarship for a Regis student, or we send people there on scholarships a lot. I know that. And it's a very good institution. And sure enough, political correctness has struck once again. Holy Cross has gotten rid of the knight mascot. You know, a knight like the Knights of the Round Table, the Knights of King Arthur, right? They've gotten rid of the knight mascot because of the association. Oh, does anyone want to guess before I go there? Why would Holy Cross drop a knight? I mean, a, a knight is not something that's inherently good or bad, right? It's just really referring to a uh, a mounted cavalryman with plate armor, landed nobility, right? It depends on knights have been around for a long time, the whole notion. It actually stretches all the way back to the Roman Empire and the cavalry, uh, which was a, a designation that was only, it was really based upon socioeconomic status. The uh, Equites Romani. Um, so that's where we, we get all this terminology like equestrian but anyway back to knights uh you would think that this is a pretty safe mascot to have uh but you'd be wrong the college of the holy cross has announced that it is dropping the knight mascot because of the crusades oh that's right that thing that a bunch of christians just did with no provocation and for no reason whatsoever, it just was trying to be mean to those peaceful Muslims in the Holy Land in the twelfth uh, century, eleventh, twelfth, thirteenth centuries. It, it was that's what it was really all about—just being mean. Those Muslim armies that had just showed up—they they invited people to join Islam. There was no conquest there. It's not like, oh wait, those of you who listen to this show know about the Byzantine Empire, know about Eastern Orthodox Christianity's history in fighting against the Islamic expansion, the Islamic conquest. You know about the fall of Constantinople. But well before that, you also all know about the lead-up to the First Crusade in which Muslim armies made it not just into the Holy Land to seize Jerusalem, but all the way across North Africa, up through Spain, and were only turned back by Charles Martel, the hammer. But I digress. Uh, So they're dropping this. And this goes to my theory that even mascots that you think right now are safe are not. You just have to give it some time. Even those mascots that you would assume, hold on a second, there's no way they could really be offended by this oh no they will find a way i've been joking or half joking for a while that it's just a matter of time before they decide that 
the Vikings become too politically incorrect and the NFL is going to be dealing with all kinds of pushback. They're fighting Irish. It's already happened. People have complained about the fighting Irish. Vikings were into some pretty intense stuff in their day. Uh, you know, they their first contact with Christianity involved arriving at completely unguarded monasteries in what is today England and uh, and Ireland and massacring everybody. So, you know, and, and then there was the whole slavery that the Vikings engaged in. They would go and pillage. Uh, they would rape and pillage whole villages and they would take slaves. So, you know, we think of Vikings as kind of like, you know, these comical warriors from cartoons with big helmets with. And then, by the way, the, the helmets with the horns, that actually comes from the opera. That's uh, not really something that has anything to do with the way Vikings would actually dress for battle, even though we think of it that way. Uh, or we are led by pop culture to think of it that way. But, yeah, they got rid of the crusader. Uh, or, or rather, they got rid of, I'm sorry, the knights. If it were crusaders, which... I will know there are a number of schools that the Crusaders are, in fact, the uh, the mascot. I wonder if my own high school at some point, the Raiders, like Raiders of the Lost Ark, are they going to say that that has some connotation with the raids against, you know, I, I don't even know where the notion of the Raiders comes from. Um, but, oh, the, uh, by the way, the Buccaneers, ooh, people figure out that piracy, very violent, very, uh, very much part of the patriarchy piracy not a lot of women pirates you know not a lot of uh, women captaining of the pirate ships so that's gonna that's gonna fall by the wayside but nothing is nothing is safe anymore from the pc mob when you at at the university of the holy cross or holy cross university whatever i'm sorry the college okay sorry the college of the holy cross you know what they're gonna figure out at some point that the Crusaders, the knights who fought in the Crusades, had crosses on their chests, red ones against white if they were Templars. And guess what? Some people find the cross offensive. In fact, a lot of people do. They're called Democrats. I kid, I kid, mostly. Uh, but nonetheless, the cross itself could be construed by some and will be as a form of aggression. So is the, whole, is the College of the Holy Cross, a Christian school, going to eventually change its name so as not to be offensive? It can't be a Christian school anymore, really, if it's going to cease being offensive. But that's kind of the plan, isn't it, for a lot of these places? All right, we will get into a roll call coming up here in just a moment. Stay with me. All right, team, coming into our last segment of the day. It would give me a case of the sad face, but this is, if you will, saving the best for last. This is where we get into Roll Call. All right, let's jump right into it now. We have Thomas, who writes, I'm wondering why the media is so persistent pushing this story of Donald Trump having an affair with Stormy Daniels back in 2006. 
It has no relevance to his presidency. It might have had some impact on his campaign when he was running, as all dirt does on any candidate they want to destroy. But he is president now. They're wasting their time and their ratings if they think this is going anywhere. No one cares except the media. I think that that's largely true, Thomas. I don't think anybody really does care about this whole situation that they're reporting on. The media is obsessed with it, though. But they're obsessed with anything that they believe is damaging to Trump and also that reaffirms their belief that Trump is basically Hitler, which is really the media's general position. Trump is basically Hitler, as insane as that is. So next up here, uh, Sterling, uh, who writes, Buck, I love you and your show. Not in a weird way, so neither you or Miss Molly have anything to worry about. Well, thank you, Sterling. I love the podcast because I never miss anything, but then sometimes I get behind. Now, I think your typically thorough, obje- uh, typically thorough objectivity is lacking when it comes to airlines. Uh-oh. For example, airlines adhere to a strict schedule, and anyone who deviated from that schedule just because would be fired. What you experienced when your plane diverted for fuel sounded like uh, a diversion. Diversions are most common for weather, but there are other reasons, too. There's more, but I don't want to annoy you. You have some valid points, but I think some are misguided uh, from Sterling. Well, Sterling, thank you for liking the show. And on airlines, I would note that I am upfront about feeling like I have been uh, traumatized in slow motion over the years by crappy airline situations, by terribly uncomfortable airline seats, by price gouging at the last minute, by all sorts of stuff. I mean, if I sat here and wrote out all the things that have gone on, and while I I know that there are business rationales for this, I would also note that airlines are heavily regulated, as a lot of government intervention in them, and airlines are the only area of consumer life that I can think of. Because even cable companies, as I've noted, have gotten better. Airlines are the only place that feel like they're just inoculated. They are invulnerable to customer complaints and outrage, really. I would note that it isn't lost on me that with the American people, if you mistreat a human being, there will be outrage. If you really severely mistreat and or end up taking the life of a small, cute dog, there will be people out in the streets with pitchforks, so to speak. So that's why United is having some of the troubles that it is. Um, Let's get into uh, next one here. Uh, We have Corey, uh, who writes, So school shootings are a, quote, rare occurrence. Not anymore, Buck. Jump on on the bandwagon. They have figured out how to manipulate young and adult minds. In the pursuit of stripping us of our guns. That's what they're trying to do. Look at the direction it's leading us. Only one outcome from a continuing of school shootings to disarm us. The mental war began a long time ago. Well, Corey, as I've noted, school shootings are very, very rare. Overall, you have an enormous population of school age students in this country. And we have data on this stretching back for decades. And I understand that it pulls at our heartstrings and school shootings are a psychological trauma, even for those who are just reading about it or seeing the images on TV. But by the same token, 
They are rare events. And to make policy based on the emotions that come after school policy, uh, school shootings is just a bad idea. And that's what's going on. Susanna, she's next up here. Buck, I'm laughing so hard listening to Monday's podcast and you are keeping the trifecta of steak, eggs and bacon. Just keep the bacon under a pound. Oh, my stars. You're the best. I've shared you with several friends and family and they appreciate you uh, as well as ever. Shields high. Well, Susanna, thank you so much for the kind note. I really am hoping that I managed to start a trend here. Why? Why you go to a restaurant? You, you, you go into a diner. They're like, hey, yeah, uh, st- steak and eggs is on the menu. Where's my bacon, home slice? Where's my bacon? Just because I got steak and eggs doesn't mean I don't want bacon. If you want to take some parsley or something to add a little green so that I have a, uh, the, the, the visuals go with the palate or whatever, that's fine. There's no reason to cut bacon out of the equation. It's just wrong. It's just wrong. And we're addressing it here on the show. Steve, up next here, uh, he wrote that shepherd's pie made with ground moose meat is awesome. Steve, I feel like that's not an Irish delicacy, though, because I'm pretty sure they don't have moose in Ireland. Hey, Ireland, you got mooses? You got mooses in Ireland? I don't think so. Steve also writes, really, almost everything made with ground moose is great. I prefer wild game to antibiotics and growth hormone beef, but Alaskan moose are big and a lot of work. Uh, Steve, I'm going to have to take your word for it, my friend. I do not have a lot of experience with moose meat. Uh, So thank you. Uh, Holly, next up here, short note, love the show. But I fear for America. Well, Holly, thank you for your fondness of the show. It means a lot to me. I put a lot of effort into the show every single day. I spend my whole day thinking about it and go to bed at night thinking about what I can do the next day to make the show just a little bit better. As for fearing for America, no, we confront any fears that we have about the future of America here. We try to deal with what's really happening and look at what solutions we can all in our own way and then also as an American people enact. So uh, don't don't be don't be afraid about America. And uh, please continue your support for the show. Uh, Brad, next up here, Buck. I love your show. The shape of water should be called the shape of bestiality. Uh, Brad, thank you again for your kind words about the show. And yeah, I, the shape of water is about a woman who has sex with her aquarium pet. That is a factual, true statement. I, don't, I think it's, yeah, aquarium, not terrarium, right? Because terrariums are for, like, lizards, and he's really more of a fish, although he, he is kind of lizard-like. It's tough to, tough to know. Uh, Corinna reminded me, hey there, where's the link to the article on the progressive mind? Well, it's the, hosti- the, host- um, the psychology of progressive hostility is the name of the link. And Corinna, you are right. I guess we haven't put it up. And this just happens because I write things down here as I'm on air. And then I get lost in thought and I don't necessarily get it, get it going. I'm going to write you directly here, Corinna, with the article link. And I'm also going to have our team post it so everyone can see it on Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Uh, so there you have it. Aries. Oh, Aries got quite a screed here. Aries, I'm going to read some of it, but I'm not going to be able to read all of it on air. Buck, the reason the left is more prone or accepting of cheating and breaking the rules, like weaponizing the Justice Department, violating the Constitution and voter fraud, isn't necessarily because they're generally bad people. 
It's because they see America as the bad guys. It's reflected in their expression of popular culture where the military, police, CIA, or various other government agents are depicted as bad guys. It still make them, makes them traitors and quite possibly crazy, but their actions are rational if that's what they believe. Um, I, I think you make a very good point here, Aries. I think that's true. I've often said that there are those who derive pride from being American in this country. And there are those who derive pride from thinking they're better than America and progressives fall into that latter category. They think that they exist here to make us better than the America that they inherited. And they look down upon the history of America. And I would note that this was a generally speaking, a very accurate description, I think, of sentiment during the Obama administration, not just of the president, but of his entire the entire theme surrounding him in the uh, White House, his top advisors, the media, uh, they all felt like there was an atonement that was going on for all of America as a result of having a Democrat president like Obama in office. So there you have it. There is that sense. Uh, team, we are going to have to close up shop here in the Freedom Hut. Thank you, as always, for joining. Until next time, no matter what comes your way, remember, shields high.